Reconstructionist Radio presents The War Room, where we discuss tactics for strategic Christian living. David Tillis, we're brought to you by yournews.com, yournews.com. And I have with me on the phone a man who is a, a remarkable, uh, a remarkable uh, man, a Christian man who lives in uh, just outside Texas in a town with the most wonderful name, Prosper, uh, Texas. And his concern is for prosperity of a spiritual kind. His name is Joe Salant, and he is, I would say he is a kind of a, a Christian bomb thrower. And it's important to, to consider uh, shaking up the Christian establishment today uh, because on Thursday here in Chattanooga and across the country is the National Day of Prayer, the National Day of Prayer. And it, it promises to be very, uh, very unshaking of the way things are. It promises to be effectively a, a kind of marketing, uh, unintentionally, of the status quo. And I'm afraid that it really shouldn't be viewed that way. And if you are uh, my listener here thinking of taking part in some of the events in the National Day of Prayer here in Chattanooga, maybe the, the prayer breakfast, which is, uh, I don't think it's this week, but uh, very proximate to this, uh, this national day, uh, that, you, uh, that you think again about what Christianity professes. If you are, you know, if you are making a profession of faith, well, then the, 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 the ungodly, if you will, the, the world at large, uh, has every business on holding you to account on your actions and what you approve of and the claims of your authority, which you say is God, right? You say you, you love God, you love the Lord Jesus, uh, and you believe uh, in, in the truth through the power of the Holy Spirit. You say all these things, and, they sound, and those things sound fine, but what are you willing to accept? Joe Salant is 37 years old. He and his wife, Misty, uh, have uh, three children. There's an eight-year-old boy, a three-year-old girl, and a one-year-old son. He's a, a sales manager, and he's best known, perhaps, uh, in in a very small circle of American Christianity, the Neo-Puritan circle. He's best known for uh, operating the War Room for Reconstructionist Radio. He is a, a kind of a radio guy, and uh, a man of, for, I, I'd say, I'd say, a ferocious temperament. And that not not necessarily that he's unkind or that he's mean, but that he has a uh, he has a very uh, very strong uh, approach. So, Joe Salant, what, what, what do you make of the National Day of Prayer? Uh, or if you're not going to make an evaluation of it directly, what would you say to my listener that he should be doing, thinking, and praying about? I guess the question is, what should the National Day of Prayer be praying about? Is the list long or is the list short? Man, you know, uh, <laughs> thank, you for, thank you for that awesome introduction. Uh, look, I, I'm just a brother. Uh, I'm just Joe. Um, you know, this whole idea that we have this extensive clergy laity divide in the church in America, especially in the state that it's in right now, um, is, is so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous to God. And when we're approaching something like a national day of prayer, um, and you want, and we want real answers. We want something different than the actual ceremony that takes place on some day in May every year. If we want something different, we need to start seeing from a, we need to start getting a God's eye view of what's going on. 
and really, we just have to we have to cut the crap with ourselves. I mean, one hundred percent, one hundred percent, and just I mean, look, there are only two kinds of people in, in the eyes of God. There's covenant breakers, and there's covenant keepers. And most of the prayers, I say, ninety nine percent of the prayers, the ones that don't have to deal with Lord, grant us repentance, right. Please, Lord, now let us fall on our face before you hit us with a giant ball of fire. The ones that don't sound like that really are a demonstration that we're asking God to bless covenant breaking. And where are we as a society today? We, we often, you know, and I, I'm, let me talk directly to conservatives here. As conservatives, when you bring up the fact that America is a, you know, one nation under God, and it's prosperous, and the greatest nation to ever exist economically, and, and, you know, an empire of righteousness, and so on and so forth, and the litany goes on and on. When you bring that up, the roots go way back. The modern American conservative wants to claim the biblical foundations of the founding, and the, the Puritans coming across the ocean, escaping religious tyranny, and setting up a society based on God's law, and yada, yada, City yada, on a hill. yada, yada. So in, in the case of the blessings um, that exist today, and there are still the remnants of blessings when you look at our society today for those areas of obedience, the Christian wants to all of a sudden take this great responsibility for the historical, we stand on the shoulders of giants thing, and so on and so forth. But when you talk about the covenant breaking in America, uh, whether it's, you know, starting with, with, Chattel slavery, black chattel slavery, how the law of God uh, uh, in English common law was willfully exchanged. This is before the constitutional period, was willfully exchanged for Roman pagan lawlessness for the explicit purpose of slaveholders not having to recognize the conversion of the black slave, changing his covenantal status. And, and setting him free in that community like it would a, a slave under British, uh, under English common law. Now you start to see all of a sudden the, um, the grave injustice that was perpetuated, whether it was pastors literally receiving their salary because of a leased program from slaves. They would lease, sla- uh, uh, they would lease slaves, the church would lease slaves to pay for the pastor's salary. And slave leasing programs were the worst because these masters who would lease a slave were just trying to get every last cent out of their investment. And the survival rate was way down, and it was torture for the slave. And now when we start to talk about things like this, it makes the modern American conservative very uncomfortable because we're, we're comfortable talking about the blessings from history. But now we're not talking about the injustices done to the least in society in the justified in the name of crime. Did you know that George Whitefield actually had, a, had black slaves defended, lobbied for slavery to be legal in Georgia, which was, it was originally illegal, so that he could use black slaves to support the work of, his, of saving white orphans? I mean, when we start talking about this stuff, all of a sudden, the conservative is born yesterday, and they're just like the liberal. And in that case, everything started yesterday. I didn't own any slaves. I have nothing to do with whatever happened in the name of Christ for slavery. 
And because we do that, did you know back in the 60s, did you know that back in the 60s, the American conservative position against race mixing was to call it communism? And the popular position of many churches, especially in the South, was to decry race mixing as communism and, and social Marxism and, and comments like that. And, it, you know, it, it just boggles the mind. It boggles the mind that we don't have any historical awareness. And God only sees things through covenant breaking and covenant keeping. And when we talk about slavery and racism and things like that, it's important to set the stage. Because what we are dealing with in America today, it says in Matthew 25, 40, what you did unto the least of my brothers, you have done it unto me. That's directly from the words of Jesus. And what do we have in America today with the abortion holocaust? Talk about it. What do we exactly have? Behind every case of injustice, there is a case of idolatry. When there is systemic injustice in a system, this is only because there is systemic idolatry embedded in that system. And if the church is not speaking out against injustice, then the church is not speaking out against idolatry, and therefore the church is not preaching the gospel. Bojadar Marinoff in Acts to the Root hammers this home a lot. And we have a history as the church in America for covering up injustice and blatantly allowing the pagan state to commit injustice against the weakest members in society. Now, what we have in America today is every 30 seconds, a baby created in the image of God being knitted together in the Holy of Holies, in the mother's womb, being ruthlessly hurled into eternity right down the street from our giant religious clubs, our giant religious centers, where we have the cracker and juice ceremony and we, we, we lift our arms to the Lord and all this other kind of stuff. We are a nation that practices child sacrifice in the midst of 80 million evangelical Christians and hundreds, literally hundred thousand Bible, strong Bible-believing churches. While this lawlessness has been established for the weakest members in society, and this is not something that happened in 1973 with one lawless Supreme Court ruling. This is something that goes way back. And God's arm is not short, nor his, does his eye not see. We talk about America as, the land, as, as one nation under God. Well, which God? If you want to find out which God a nation has in place, what you do is you look to its laws, not what the people say they believe and practice in their religious ceremonies, because the root of every law is religious in origin, deciding good and evil, punishing what the nation believes is, is evil, and rewarding what the nation, the covenant community, believes is good. And when you look at the laws behind the, the system in America, whether it's the abortion child sacrifice that takes place as a sacrament to Satan, 1.2 million a year, a 9-11 every day, one every 30 seconds, over 100 million since 1973, since five lawyers, Republican-appointed lawyers mostly. Members of good and standing of their churches, too. The Supreme Court, Absolutely. Joe Salant, the Supreme Court that approved Roe v. Wade in 1973 were all members of Christian churches in good standing and were not uh, under any re report afterwards of having been subject to ecclesiastical censure 
or excommunication or any kind of threat to their their privileges as Christians in those bodies. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. That continues, obviously, today. And the lawlessness that has been established, God only has two categories in the Bible. It is law and lawlessness. There's no middle ground or in between. And if you look at the statutes on our book, there's a, there's a in Micah 6, Mike, the prophet says that we have the statutes of Omri on our book, that we have wickedness engraved in the legislation. That's what that's what Micah says to Israel. And the statutes of Omri was merely the, the, uh, the father of Ahab. Ahab and Jezebel, obviously, they had the showdown with, uh, uh, with Elijah, Elijah. And Elijah called down the fire from heaven and the, the 850 false prophets die and so on and so forth. But the root of that was the fact that God's law was mocked at the, at the center, at the, at the locus of society. And our laws, if you want to look to what God's society is worshiping, look to the law system, because every law is religious in origin. And what we have in America today is not the worship of Yahweh, is not the worship of God, it's not what the Puritans came over to, to establish, is not the shining city on the hill. We have one nation not under Yahweh, but one nation under Moloch. Moloch. And the ancient god Moloch simply meant king. And if you want to know more about that, you can dig into that. There's a lot of studies on it. But the root of Moloch worship is the sacrifice of the individual human being to the collective. The king's state is greater than the individual human being in this religion of death. So worshipers would bring their babies to be burned alive on a giant idol with the head of a bull and outstretched molten arms of a man in the hopes of prosperity and blessing. So the promise was like, you murder this little one, and great things will happen for your life. You can have your best life now. You'll have better crops. You'll have a better career. So, I mean, does this not sound familiar? Abortion is human sacrifice to Moloch. And really, any time that you take the individual image bearer of God and, and, just, and just hurl them into whether it's— if you take the individual human being and say that, that, that his rights are not important because of the collective— whether it's through abortion or whether it's through indoctrinating kids in humanistic incubation centers that we call the public schools, just sacrificing their mind to Moloch in there, whether it's lawlessness enforcement in the form of law enforcement, where we have proactive policing that is happening on our streets, where they're enforcing laws that have nothing to do with the law of God at all whatsoever. What happened to appeal to heaven? We're talking about the National Day of Prayer. What's up with appeal to heaven? Well, if my appeal to heaven is just the appeal of whatever we collectively think is okay, that's not a, an appeal to heaven. That's an appeal to the Moloch state. That's an appeal to the pagan state. And Christians, this is very simple, okay? You asked this question. Well, the, the question was, I mean, do we need a, a long prayer list or, or, a, or a small one? This, this prayer list is very, it's, it's God grant us, repentance and illumination in a time of darkness because what we have today is a time of darkness where christians think it's just taco tuesday regular christianity as usual show up check kids in you know you go here a nice sermon there you know if the kids act up in the nursery they're going to splash your number on the screen and you can go ahead and take your kid out of the nursery take them out to your bmw all that other kind of stuff and it's just life as usual. And justice for the least in our society is the least of the concern for those 
religious leaders and participants in the ministry industrial complex. But what does the Great Commission say? The Great Commission said, Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Now go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So if you're like a, 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 um, an alien airdropped from planet Zabar, and you're reading that for the first time without any presuppositions as to what it really means or anything, you're going to say that the Christian position, the Christian job, is to make disciples of nations, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, we have 80 million or so evangelical Christians in the United States, and yet the statutes of Omri are on our books, and we offer our offspring to Moloch and profane the name of the Lord God, Leviticus 18.21. What exactly is it when we say God bless America that we are asking him to bless? Are we asking him to reward us for our lightlessness, for our saltlessness, for our portrayal of Christianity as a pagan path to the afterlife, where you act a little better here, and then you get to have a, an awesome time in eternity? This is, and, and we just go directly to our churches while the little image bearers of God are just being piled one on top of another, lifting a giant stench to the heavens. Let me tell you what the Lord says to us. He says, if you're saltless, if you're lightless, then I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Repent, repent, repent. That's Revelation 2.5. If you see injustice in the society, that is because idolatry is at the root of the injustice, and it is the obligation of the church the bride of Christ, to address this. We are the ones that are supposed to be performing the reparations in these areas of society. We are supposed to be reaching out to the least. We are supposed to be walking around as idol smashers, for though we walk in the flesh, we don't wage war according to the flesh. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds destroy arguments, take every lofty opinion, every idolatrous opinion raised against the knowledge of God and make it captive to obey the plain word of Christ. We are supposed to be pronouncing the covenant of God and obedience and blessings for obedience to the covenant. Christian, if you're asking for blessings for disobedience, if you are asking for collective blessings for disobedience, covenantal blessings for a community that is shaking its fist at the throne of God, Christian, you are not praying according to the will of God. This is David Toulson. We're when talking with Joe Salant. He is the he is the host of War Room Radio at, at Reconstructionist Radio, and we're talking about the National Day of Prayer. And Joe has some uh, some some words, very mild words for for Christian people. Now, you, my listener, may not be a Christian, but I think what what you're what you're seeing here is perhaps a, an internecine struggle, if you will. An internecine fight, an internal fight within within Christendom, the the the, the people of God. You have the large group, uh, which is uh, which which holds that the, the Bible uh, is largely and that the Word of God is largely a private a private matter. Uh, and, and and Christianity today, by and large, in in this country, uh, says that uh, the claims of God are are personal, pri- uh, private, and comp- compartmentalized. And here, Joe Joe Salant. Uh, and other writers in the neo-Puritan wing of the church, that is to say, 
the Reformed wing that believes that the law of God is valid, they say, Joe Salant and these other writers say, uh, that had been saying since the 19, late 1960s with the early works of R.J. Rush Dooney, uh, that there has to be uh, an overturning of what is essentially the Christian establishment that accepts, uh, for example, public schools. Uh, Joe, Joe, just hang on for a second. We're talking with Joe Salant, and he is uh, commenting on, on the National Day of Prayer, which is Thursday, and there is an event Thursday at Coolidge Park, and, uh, and I think at uh, one of the public buildings in the city, and the question is, what is the prayer going to be about? What are these Christian people going to be praying for? Uh, and he's concerned He's concerned that their prayers will effectively be a gloss on the way things are. It's like public school is a way of marketing the status quo. Is the National Day of Prayer falling into the same temptation? That is simply praise that God look, for, look out for our leaders and for our children in public school and, and our sheriffs and so on. Is, is it just kind of a bland prayer like that, a bland petition? Or is there something that has to be revolted against? And that's what Joe Salant is looking at. David Tullis, and now I've got some important messages. Stand by. Chattanooga Radio, Digital FM 95.3 HD4, 92.7 FM's News Now. Those seven hikers who went missing have been found thanks to a helicopter provided by the Department of Natural Resources in Georgia. The West Polk County Facebook page reported seven hikers who went missing yesterday were found. A man showed up shot at the hospital on Monday morning, according to police. Sean Ware drove himself, despite his injuries, to the hospital. A crime scene was taped off on O'Neill Street. The police now searching for the culprit. Armed, dangerous, and on the run, the police want Dominique Collins caught. The CPD obtained warrants for his arrest earlier in the week. He's accused of shooting and nearly killing Leonard Myrie at the Circle K on Chalford Road April the 13th. He's been charged with attempted first-degree murder and possession of a weapon by a dangerous felon, among other charges. Jettica police say a search warrant was executed and Byron Murphy was arrested. Cops say he had drugs and guns inside his house with his kids. Russell Stroud, Nickel Radio News Talk, 92.7 Action News. Are you interested in Christian education? Would you like to learn how to be a Christian teacher or how to run your very own Christian school with success? The GCS Apprenticeship Program can help. Learn more on our website at gcsapprenticeship.com. Midweek, mostly sunny through Thursday, continued warm with highs 83 to 85. Tired of the pressures and hassles of car shopping? Come see what more people are making the short drive to Jackson Chevrolet Buick GMC in Lafayette or online at jacksongm.com. That's Jackson Chevy Buick GMC in Lafayette. And I'm Sorgene 12, Chief Meteorologist Patrick Ford. Now, the smartest guy with a bow tie in Chattanooga, Tennessee, David Toulist. This is David Toulist, and I'm glad you're giving me just a minute. A minute of your time here. We are uh, we are New York Radio 92.7 FM, and this is the David Tullis Show, where we look in detail at rebuilding and, as as some some would say, uh, at reconstruction. And reconstruction is not that imposed by the the good people on the South in the at the end of the uh, of the war. This is a reconstruction of a different kind. It's bottom up, not top down. And Joe Salant and Reconstructionist Radio and the War Room, which of which he is a, a host. 
have been making this argument, as have many writers in the past, well, 50 years or so, uh, in the what's called the Neo-Puritan wing of Christendom. That would be the, uh, the Reformed, uh, the Reformed followers of, uh, of a great Christian theologian named Cornelius Van Til, who uh, looked at the whole idea of presuppositions and determined that, that there is no neutrality in, in any idea and in any system. And encouraging, uh, encouraging R.J. Rushduni, and a noted theologian of the past, uh, of the past 50 years, uh, was, uh, was Van Til. And, and from Rushduni's work came the Christian school movement and, many, and in many ways the pro-life movement uh, as well, from uh, 1973 on, Rush Dooney began publishing, I think, in the mid-1960s, uh, his uh, philosophies and histories, and uh, a, remar- a man of remarkable uh, output. Joseph Lamp is looking today with me here, David Toulis, at the National Day of Prayer, which is Thursday. He's, he's 37 years old. He has three children. Uh, he and his wife, Misty, he runs, uh, works as a, as a sales manager in, in Prosper, Texas, near Dallas. And he is, uh, he is an abolitionist. And uh, he, abolition is something that in, in the South has, I think, a bad name and uh, a name that I partly uh, helped besmirch because I was a, I was a noble cause, uh, Southern Christian agrarian, uh, anti-Yankee kind of person, kind of, kind of a person. And I've, I've been dissuaded from that perspective by uh, a riveting, very disorienting uh, book called The Problem of Slavery in Christian America by Joel McDermott. And uh, it, it is a book that's worth bringing up at the National Day of Prayer but before I before we do, uh, I want to ask Joe Salant about about the the idea of of baby killing. We have uh, we have Joe Salant in in uh, Tennessee. We have uh, we have abortion as in other states is is protected by the governor, who's a Christian man, and his uh, attorney general, both of which are members of the of the, of the Presbyterian Church in Knoxville. Uh, wh- I think both are elders uh, in the Presbyterian Church, and they protect the the killing of babies along with police departments. In the cities in, Ch- in Tennessee that allow this uh, this this trade, and uh, there, there, we have a pro life we have a pro life party, if you will, in the conservative wing of, of politics in the, in the, on the Republican side. Is pro life good? Is, is does pro life work? Is, is it enough uh, on the National Day of Prayer to be pro life, Joe Salant? Oh, I mean, absolutely, unequivocally, not. It is not enough. And, and speaking to, to uh, speaking to the Christians here, look if you're if you're a humanist, if you if you haven't um, bowed the knee at the altar of Jesus Christ, and you haven't you know, pledged your life to, um, to to following His direct commands in the Word of God, and uh, if, you, if you're so if you if you think of things humanistically, then yeah, by all means, you, you know, fight abortion humanistically. We expect you to do that. Um, but at the end of the day, look, I got from my people 550 women in Hamilton County um, sacrificed their, their children to the devil uh, in, in the right of abortion um, in, in this last year. That's, I don't think you all even have, a, have an abortion mill out there, but, but no, 550 right. women. And in Tennessee, 10K per year, 10K, 10,000, hurled into eternity. Uh, 10,000 little babies, the most innocent ones in society, hurled into eternity per year. I would say that whatever's on the ground fighting this thing is not doing a very good job. So the devil, like I'm speaking directly to Christians here, right? It's not okay. It's not enough, nor is it okay to be pro-life. You must be an abolitionist. 
And the reason is the devil has lured Christians into writing laws that regulate and legalize the child sacrifice of abortion. Laws that the pro-life movement is famous for. Did you know that every single law on the books that we have today that codifies abortion as legal in certain circumstances where you can kill every single one of the babies as long as you do it according to this regulation has been written by pro-lifers? See, the devil doesn't just want Christians to stand aside while he does wickedness. He wants to entice us to participate in the legislative process where we are actually writing laws that allow for certain image bearers of God, certain babies, to be brutally murdered. And that's correct. We have a few horrible opinions from judges that should be ignored. The Supreme Court, it should just absolutely, if the Supreme Court made a ruling today that said black people ought to go back into chattel slavery or white people, now it's your turn to go into chattel slavery, <laughs> we wouldn't, nobody would obey that ruling. It is an opinion. And, and in courts don't write laws, conservatives. Since when do courts write laws? All right. But the actual, we have, an, we have a few horrible opinions and then the actual laws that specify abortion as legal have been written by pro-lifers who took the bait and put the statutes of Omri on the book in a futile attempt to end human sacrifice with the religion of humanism and not Christianity. So it goes like this. So the devil lures Christians into thinking that for time, justice is something that can only happen way off in the future. The time for justice for the pro-life movement is always later. And all that can be done is to save a few babies that the secular culture can be convinced are worth saving. In other words, the devil says, you make abortion legal in your state with these laws, and I will let some of the babies live. And we shake the devil's hand. That's the, that's the M.O. of the pro-life movement. Scientists determine, for example, that a baby can feel pain at 20 weeks. And then Christians get excited and then write laws saying it's legal, it's illegal to abort babies over 20 weeks because they can feel pain. Now, these laws pass and are celebrated in the churches as some kind of huge victory. I mean, it's that it's we're actually winning the abortion holocaust somehow. I mean, we, we're winning is like the motto of the pro-life movement. It's something directly out of George Orwell. Like 1.2 million babies hurled into eternity brutally, and we're winning the abortion holocaust when, when even Europe, Germany, has a 12-week ban. Okay, Russia has a 12-week ban. Russia murders as many babies as China. But we, because of our pro-life ministry industrial complex machine that makes us feel better, all right, we think that we're winning this somehow. It's spiritual blindness on its face. Because when you write a law banning abortion after 20 weeks, it is that very law that codifies the legality of abortion up to 20 weeks. A ban on drinking, for example, under 21 is permission to drink for people over 21. That's how law works, implicit and explicit implications. And thus, thus, it has been the pro-life movement itself, largely comprised of Christians, who have written the very codes that legalize abortion in our land. These codes are celebrated as victories, laws that, laws that specify which instruments of death can be used in abortion, how wide the hallways and child sacrifice centers must be, whether the uh, attendant in the ceremony, the so-called doctor, has this credential or that credential, whether or not the mother must look at the ultrasound of her baby before she murders her. The idea that the mother is a victim as well as the baby, the two-victim scenario, what kind of license the abortion, abortionist must have, so on and so on and so forth. 
All of these are the result of Christian, who, Christians who have taken the bait. They've taken the bait, and they have decided that we will trade in the law of God, that we will take the appeal to heaven, the only appeal that actually makes a difference. And instead of obedience to Christ's command to disciple the nation, teaching the nations all things and all that sort of stuff, we trade it in the different rules because we want results. My friend, that's called situational ethics. That's what conservatives complain about Bill Clinton uh, following Joseph Fletcher. Do you know what the definition of his is? That we can do evil so that good may come. That in certain circumstances, we'll write an evil law and good will come out of it. That, that we could submit this law, not, not, to, not to our halls of Congress, not to our House of Representatives, but we could submit this 20-week ban on murder to the court of heaven, and Jesus would give it a round of applause. That is blasphemy. That is lawlessness. That is the MO of the pro-life movement, that the situation determines the ethics, not the law of God, and that must be abolished. We must put it, not only is it not okay to be a pro-lifer, according to what the pro-life movement is about today in America, we must put an end to this movement, because it is not about the law of God. It is about lawlessness, and it perpetuates, and it legalizes, legalizes. The blood is on our hand as so-called pro-lifers for that, and we must abolish uh, the sin based on, based on, the abolition must come based on the implementation of the law of God. Okay, so what you're saying, Joe Salant, Joe what you're saying, uh, you're from Reconstructionist Radio and Run the War Room podcast, you're saying that, that Christian people who are going to be taking part here in Chattanooga in the Day of Prayer events Thursday at Coolidge Park and, and elsewhere, you're saying that they have to call for the thing that God approves, and that would be the end of child sacrifice, the end of abortion. They can't they can't just be pro-life. Pro-life is, is, is salt that, that has lost its flavor and is worthy to be trod underfoot, you're saying. They need to call for an absolute end and not compromise. And, and is, that, is that right? They need to repent. We need to repent. We, 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 the Church of Jesus Christ in America, need to repent. It is our obligation. And yet we must call for a full, full and complete abolition. You want to know how pathetic the pro-life movement in America is? Okay, check this out. Neil Gorsuch, the, the nominee, the, the guy that Trump just got in there for the Supreme Court, this guy, all right, he was an active member of a left-wing pagan church for a long time, served at an altar where the female pastor stands for sodomite marriage and the woman's right to carve up the fruit of her womb with death weapons. Anyone who thinks that Neil Gorsuch's religion is Christianity has terrible discernment. I mean, imagine if Obama... Conservatives, imagine if Obama put some guy who made a few good decisions like on, you know, the Hobby Lobby case or whatever the case may be. Imagine if some guy with this kind of, of red flag. I mean, think about Obama's pastor, what he said, you know, was actually not even close to as bad as what uh, Neil Gorsuch's pastor uh, uh, it, it says on a regular basis. This is the man who the pro-life movement is parading as a huge victory in a 50-year battle to worship the Supreme Court into submission. I mean, if we could only get more Republican appointees on the court, like Harry Blackman, the original rubber stamp on the Holocaust, who wrote the majority opinion in a row, appointed by Nixon, or Anthony Kennedy, who gave us uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey, uh, uh, stealing uh, further this horrible, uh, blasphemous uh, opinion of five lawyers, uh, you know, uh, or, uh, you know, appointed by the savior Ronald Reagan, Himself. This is the essence of the pro-life movement in America. We will compromise into victory. Whatever the solution is, do what's right, no matter what may come, is what we're saying. 
demand full abolition based 100% on the law of God, you're going to you have a better chance. With the situation in Ohio, there was a bill for, I think this was two years ago, the pro-life movement came up with a heartbeat bill in Ohio. It actually passed the state government. It went to, the, to John Kasich's death. John Kasich, with the cover of not Planned Parenthood, but with the cover of Ohio Right to Life, vetoed the bill. This is a Republican governor, pro-life governor with pro-life credentials, being covered by a pro-life national pro-life ministry that receives people's tithe money and things like that, decided to uh, uh, it was the pro-life ministry that used their lawyers to fight this heartbeat bill, which stops murder after uh, stops the child murder after eight weeks, and he got the pro-life movement to cover to. So, in other words, a, even even regulations on on abortion that de- that are deemed too radical. Uh, for the populace are not even going to be fought by the by the left. They're not even going to be fought by Planned Parenthood. They're going to be fought by the pro-life movement. They got their 501c3s in this stuff, man. It's, the dog and pony show must stop. We must repent. We must get on our knees. This is not about getting a couple superstars to fight evil on our behalf. This is about every individual taking individual responsibility, self-government, family government, boots on the ground, get out there, establish justice for the pre-born, act like two-year-olds are being slaughtered down the street from your churches, and then you will see, with that kind of repentance, what the Lord will do. And I'm going to leave you with this thought. If, if, the, if, if the Civil War, where one million Americans were just ruthlessly slaughtered all across the land, north and south, unrighteous body on top of unrighteous, by just all, just heaped all over the place, dead horses, Splashed all over the place, just carnage. One of the most brutal wars in in, Amer- in in human history. If that was the judgment for chattel slavery, for the horror of black chattel slavery, what do you think the judgment is for 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 a hundred million babies crying out from the ground? This is David Tulis. Judgment is go into your prayer circles with that in mind. This is David Tulis, and we're talking with Joe Salant. Joe Salant runs is involved in Reconstructionist Radio, and he's the host of the War Room, uh, the War Room podcast. Joe, let me ask you about about the the disincentives for taking these steps that you're that you're describing here that are individual individual private personal action. Every person acting as if he individually is responsible for ending this Holocaust, which took in 2016. In, in Hamilton County, 355 uh, lives of women who reside here. That much despair in this county, that much despair for 355 boys and girls that are genetically unique from their parents, destroyed in clinics probably elsewhere, probably not here. But is, is, there, is there a problem in your, in your mind with what you have called the ministry-industrial complex? What is the ministry-industrial complex? How does it work? How, how does it keep Christian people who are really earnest, but they can't see beyond the, the screen, if you will, laid forth by, by these lectures and events and publications and websites. Yeah. Look, if, I'm, I'm going to plug this episode real quick for the war room. So if, if anybody wants to go back, I really would recommend going to reconstructionistradio.com Clicking on the War Room podcast and going back to the episode with Bojidar Marinov, where he was the first one to coin the term. Bo was a great friend of mine and the host of Act to the Root, which is uh, the most important contact that we, content that we produce at Reconstructionist Radio. It's a podcast called Act to the Root, learning to think biblically about every single issue of life and get out of the whole left-right 
a game of political football and start thinking as real conservatives, conserving the law of God, conserving righteousness and justice and things like that. And Bolt Marinoff was the first one to um, to coin that, that term ministry-industrial complex, kind of maybe like spin off the military-industrial complex, if you will, whatever. Uh, the ministry-industrial complex is where we have um, professionals, all right, that have made a name and a career for themselves teaching theology and being an expert in Christian education and apologetics and philosophy in such a way that they can have they can have their large following in their little ghettos in their little 501c3 tax exempt little ghettos whether it's a um, whether it's a seminary or a large or a large uh, mega church whether they're a internet internet speak uh, a, a, whether they're a speaker internet speaker whether they're a, uh, a lecturer, whatever the case may be, musician. And what it is, what the ministry industrial complex is, is there's a lot of money in making people think that, um, that what's going on today is kind of status quo. Maybe there's a little something wrong. I'm going to help you feel better about your faith personally. I'm going to help you defend your faith against certain attacks and so on and so forth. But the minute it crosses over, this is where the ministry industrial complex stops. And this is where this is this is where it fights against righteousness and justice. The minute it crosses over into the mandate for the Christian to behave as if Jesus is really actually Lord over every single area of life. And the obligation of the church really is true and defiled, true and under uh, uh, true and undefiled religion to the widow, to the orphan. That there should be no orphans in America. With the amount we have, eighty million Christians, right? Well, it's not that having some speaker at your church on Sanctity of Life Sunday once a year is not is not enough to end the abortion genocide. The minute that we step out and start talking normative Christianity as transformative of the culture and the Bible as having the blueprint for society, the minute that we step over there, now all of a sudden. The ministry-industrial complex figureheads are going to be the first ones to fight against us. Oh, that's not really true. Christianity really is about, you know, it can't really establish justice in the here and now. Because at the end of the day, there's no money in that. There's no money in telling somebody that, that God doesn't care if you're making, God, God doesn't care if you're making $250,000 a year, uh, you know, and, and tithing 15% of it to your local religious, uh, religious dispensary. God doesn't care about that. God cares how you are treating the least in society. What you are doing directly to the least in society as directly unto him. And and that's a dangerous message for these people who are making a living. They have in a lot of these pro-life ministries, they have their 501c, they have they have their look, they have their retirement plans in in these ministries. Um it's, it's building a castle in the sand. And so, yeah, anything that normalizes Christianity and our culture as the status quo of what you see in the churches and, and says, yeah, that's okay, you know, whether it's uh, Al Mohler or the Southern Baptist Convention or John MacArthur or propping up these, uh, these celebrity pastors and celebrity preachers as, as something that's just normative out there and you know, right. they Ministries. Good, and it, you know, the, the messages themselves 
can be biblical in content to certain degrees and shapes and forms. But it's actually, look, if the act is not going to the root of wickedness right in the center, if the, if the celebrity preacher is not prophetically declaring, for example, that the Supreme Court is a beast that must be defied, as soon as it steps out of its uh, uh, jurisdiction and starts making law instead of being obedient to the law, and there's only law and lawlessness in the Bible, all right. If the preacher isn't saying that, and if the preacher isn't demonstrating that with their life, then they're not a mature Christian. So therefore, they have disqualified for themselves. But in disqualifying themselves, they qualify themselves to those that don't want anything to do with actually transforming the culture, actually establishing justice, actually establishing righteousness. And it, there's a lot of money in it. There's a lot of money in, in, in the whole peace piece. Uh, you know, we're going to have you know, Taco Tuesday Christianity as usual. Check your kids off at the kids' club. Go to the giant Christian concert. You know, we're a Christian nation. God bless America. Kneel for the cross. Stand for the flag. Stand at the sporting events when the special song comes on. You know, one nation under God. We have a Christian heritage. There's a ton of money in that. It sells. It sells. But that is the ministry industrial complex, and it goes hand in hand with the tyrants in the state. That are, that are instituting injustice hand in hand. Let me tell you something, Christian. Until you defy the tyrants that we have in the churches, the tyrants that we have in the 501c3 ghettos, these little taxism ghettos that we have here, until we defy them and start practicing true religion, showing compassion, showing compassion for here in Chattanooga. society, and not compassion for our comfortable lifestyle, until we start doing that, we're never going to be able to defy something like that. This is David Toulis, and we're talking with Joe Salant. Uh, Joe, I do want to thank you very much for joining us again. Uh, uh, Joe, give my my listener the the website for your uh, your 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 labors, please. Look, so yeah, go to reconstructionistradio.com, reconstructionistradio.com. I'm the host of the War Room, Joe Salant. I'll also check out reconrecords.com, reconrecords.com for some free music stuff like that. Also, make sure you listen to every single episode of Acts of the Whoop by Bojidar Marinoff. My final prayer is that every, every single Christian within the sound of my voice would read The Problem of Slavery in Christian America. Right. That is, that is, uh, and Joe, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. Really appreciate you having me on. This is David Tulis. And Joe, uh, Joe McDermott's book is, again, The Problem of Slavery in Christian America. It has, it has overthrown much of my life's thinking. And this is David Tulis. And how can we have slavery in a Christian country baptized, as it were, by the Reformed and Presbyterian Church, of which I'm a member. I'm a member. And so now, David Tulis, I'm on a long, uh, a long work of Christian reparations through the law, through the courts, serving the black man. David Tulis, Nuka Radio. Nuka Radio. Digital FM 95. Reconstructionist Radio presents The War Room, where we discuss tactics for strategic Christian living.
the Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.